Thank you, David and Judith. And now Tracy will come and give us our Bible reading, and then Pads will come and talk to us. So we continue our journey through Exodus this morning in our Bible reading, and it's Exodus 4, verses 1 to 17, and if you're following the story in the Church Bibles, it's on page 60, page 60. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, Put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile And pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you to speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Tracy. 
Well, good morning, everyone. As Tracy said, this is our next instalment in as we travel through the book of Exodus. Um, but we've, we've had a three-week gap because last week was, uh, was harvest, and the week before that we had a baptism service, and so some of you might have forgotten where we got to. So here's a very, very quick run-through from the very beginning of the Bible. Okay, are you ready? Creation. God speaks the world into being, but it's messed up as sin enters the world in the fall. It goes downhill from there until God decides to wipe out all living creatures through the flood. Except for one extended family, Noah and his family, who he saves, they repopulate the world. And several generations on, one of Noah's descendants, Abraham, is called to go on a journey. He travels from Babylonia, Ur in Babylonia, up to the north, to Haran, the north of Syria today, and then down into, the, the, into Canaan, which is the promised land that God has promised to his people. And there, Abraham and his family multiply Generations go by, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph, one of Jacob's sons, is sold by his brothers into slavery and ends up in Egypt. But through some remarkable coincidences, he is raised up in the royal household and becomes powerful. And due to a famine in Canaan, all of the rest of the Israelites move down to Egypt under Joseph's protection, and there they begin a new life in Egypt. And for 400 years, the Israelites multiply and live alongside the Egyptians. But then a new pharaoh comes to power who doesn't like the, the Israelites. He's jealous of them. And he puts them into slavery. And he sets them to work. And he persecutes them and works them hard. And into that arena is born a baby boy called Moses. And Moses grows up through more amazing God incidences. He grows up in the royal palace as well. But he blots his copybook when he murders an Egyptian who he sees beating up one of his fellow Israelites. And so he has to flee to Midian, which is a, a desert hill country um, in the south of Jordan today. And in Midian, while Moses is tending the sheep on a hill, God appears to him in a burning bush and he speaks to him and he tells him a few things. Paul told us about that the last time that we looked at Exodus. God says to Moses, I've got a plan for you. You're my man to go and release and free the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And he says, I care about my people. I love them. I care about them. I have compassion on them. You're the man to go and free them. And thirdly, he says, I will be with you. I'll help you in all of this. I'm not a distant God. I'm a God who will go with you. And so we come to today's reading. And this is the moment where Moses is answering God's question, really. And the question is this. Sorry. The question is this. Will you speak for me? Will you be my man? Will you go? to Egypt and be my man? And that's a question that God makes to ask each one of us. Will we be his people? Will we 
speak for him? Will we stand up for him? Will we stand up against injustice for God? And I don't know about you, but most of us are quite happy to do some good deeds, aren't we? We're quite happy, or quite happy, to go along to church on a Sunday, I hope. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We believe that it's through putting our trust in him that we receive forgiveness and we're saved to eternal life. But how many of us are happy and willing to speak about God to our, and Jesus to our friends, our neighbours, our work colleagues, those who don't know him? And why does this matter so much? Well, I believe that just as the salvation of the Israelites depended upon Moses responding to God's request to go and speak on his behalf to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, I believe that the salvation of people today who currently don't know the Lord Jesus depends upon his people, us, responding and speaking of him, speaking out against injustice, speaking of the love and the grace of Jesus Christ to our friends and families. And yet, we shy away from it. I know I do. Not all the time, but often. And it's extraordinary, isn't it, how even though we're sitting on the very best piece of news in the whole world, we're very reluctant to share it with anybody else. Why is that? Well, as Tim Chester in his commentary on the Exodus says, we often feel that we can't speak well about God. We get opportunities that come up where we could speak about Jesus or or about God and we miss them. People might ask questions which we can't answer. We try to tell someone about our faith and afterwards we think of all the things we should have said. We feel that we cannot speak well or that people won't listen. We feel we might mess it up and surely that would be even worse. Well, don't worry because this morning we will see that Moses suffered from all those same fears. And as we look at this passage, not only will we realise that he had all the same issues that we do, we'll also see how God helped him to overcome those fears and take up the challenge. But first, let's just get into perspective the size of the challenge that faced Moses. Imagine, imagine if you were a Syrian rebel today, that you'd been fighting against the Assad government, But fleeing for your life, you'd had to cross the border into Lebanon or into Turkey. And you're now in a refugee camp, twiddling your thumbs, sitting in front of the fire, cooking your evening meal. And God speaks to you out of the fire and says, Adam, Paul, Lisa, I want you to go. I want you to go back into Syria. I want you to go and find President Assad and tell him from me that he's got to stop all this bombing. And he's got to make peace with everybody around him. How would you feel about the chances of you still being alive in a few weeks' time? Not very good, I don't think. But that is exactly what God is asking Moses to do. Luckily, we don't really have to do that kind of thing. And so Moses goes on to present some very good reasons to God why he's the wrong man for the job. And those reasons turn out to be the very same reasons why we're reluctant to speak about God, about our faith, for us. 
And the first one is, or the first two, you could say, are... Uh, when my... <laughs> it stopped working. Thank you, Martin. Could you move me on, please? Two hits. No, just, just two... No, no, no. Could you... Okay. <laughs> just the first two lines. No. <laughs> okay. Okay. He says, what if they don't listen to me? What if they don't believe me? And often that's how we feel when we contemplate the idea of speaking to our family members, friends, workplace colleagues about our faith. What if they don't believe me? What if they just take offence? And God's answer to Moses is interesting. He offers Moses three signs. Turning his staff into a snake and back again, making his hand first leprous and then clean again, and turning some water into blood. And these are signs for his own people to get his fellow Israelites on side when he returns to Egypt to help them. Now, why would he need to do that? Why would he need to convince the Israelites? Didn't they believe in God? Didn't they know who God was? Well, apparently not. In chapter 3.13, Moses asked God, what if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you? And they ask, what is his name? Clearly, Moses doesn't expect the Israelites to know who God is. And later on, we'll see in chapter 5, verse 2, Pharaoh will say to Moses, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know this Lord. In other words, the Israelites had done nothing to show any obvious signs of worshipping God. They'd largely forgotten him. And, you know, I think it's like that here in the UK today. We live in a nominally Christian country whose population has largely forgotten who God is. Some of us avoid talking to our friends and relations about Jesus on the basis that, well, they kind of already know about it, don't they? I mean, they were brought up with it. How can I be so presumptuous? Well, Pharaoh's response begs the question, how come the Israelites weren't showing any signs of worshipping God? And if not, they probably didn't know who God was. And we can ask ourselves those same questions of those whom we know. And the question is this, is God calling us to be the means by which our friends and relations rediscover the amazingly good news that God cares for them, that he loves them, that he wants them to turn to him and be saved. So these signs that God gives Moses are to be a witness to the Israelites that God is with him, a reason for them to believe what he says. Now, you might say, well, hang on a minute, God doesn't give me these magical signs to perform. I can't throw a staff down that turns into a snake. So how do you expect me to witness to these people. And of course he, does, he doesn't. He usually doesn't. But if you think about it, God has given us the greatest signs of all. Signs which Moses certainly didn't have himself. Firstly, the greatest sign of all is the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And secondly, the witness of Christians down the ages over 2,000 years years of church history. Moses had no track record. In fact, the last time the Israelites saw him, he was on the run for murder, and he'd not even been a worshipper of God himself in the past. 
By contrast, we not only have the witness of the New Testament to the saving love and grace of God in Jesus, but we have the millions of stories of people's lives, our own and others, transformed by the love of Jesus. And I know that Christians are often attracted to the idea of miraculous signs. We're entranced by them. We think if only we could demonstrate a few miracles by the power of God, then we could easily convince others to believe in him. But you know, actually both scripture and experience tell us that this is not the case. Jesus himself was pretty unimpressed by people who sought after miraculous signs, saying in Matthew 12, 38, that a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. And he went on to say that the only sign they were going to get was the sign of Jonah, a reference to somebody going to the place of the dead for three days and three nights and then being brought out alive, a clear reference to his forthcoming death and resurrection. No, God has given us the cross and the empty tomb as signs. We're back on. Now that, of course, is not to say that miracles don't happen today. Of course they do. In a world with such a powerful creator as God is, we do see glimpses of his glory, his majesty, his healing power, his creativity at work in the world in miraculous ways. But most people I have known who come to faith have done so, not through miraculous healings, but by hearing the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and seeing the witness of changed lives. These are our signs. But despite that, we still fear sharing the good news with others. Well, having been given these special signs, Moses, too, is still not convinced that he's up to the job of being God's spokesperson. Verse 10, he says, Pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent. I'm slow of speech and tongue. In effect, Moses says, I may not speak well. And we can feel this, too. I might say something wrong. I might not do a good job for God. And surely that would be even worse if I put people off. Do you know, when Kirsty came to faith, I did tell her I was going to tell, her, tell you this, but when Kirsty first came to faith, she fell so much in love with Jesus that she just went around telling everybody about him. It seemed utterly natural to do so. Within a week, she'd met an old friend, Jan, whilst walking the dogs in the woods. She told her all about her newfound faith. Jan was converted on the spot and remains a strong Christian today. A few weeks later... One of her other friends, though, who was a lot less happy about what had happened to Kirsty, said, if you don't stop talking about Jesus, you'll put everybody off. And Kirsty was so upset by the idea that she might put people off that she just clammed up and said nothing. Later, she came to realise that there's a good balance to be reached between being keen to share the good news of Jesus and sensitivity over how we do that. But sadly, most of us err on the side of saying nothing because we're afraid we might mess it up. So what does God say to Moses about this? Well, in verse 11, the Lord says to Moses, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight? Is it not I, the Lord? In other words, God says that he's the one who can make our words heard. He can take what we say and make people understand. 
He can take what they see and give them insight. The only job he's asking Moses to do is to open his mouth and speak. Moses isn't responsible for the outcome. God is. And this is a huge relief for us. God only asks us to open our mouths and speak. And he promises that he'll take care of the rest. We're not responsible for the outcome. One of the things that all preachers experience at some time or other is the extraordinary way in which God takes the words that we speak and does exactly what he wants to do with them. Now, I'm sure there are many times when my words fall short of God's best, but there are many occasions when people come up to me after a service and say, that was amazing. It was as if you were speaking about me, right into my situation. It was exactly what I needed to hear this morning. And other occasions when someone says, Pads, when you said X, Y, Z, it was just like a light bulb going on. It really helped me. And I'm thinking to myself, I never said X, Y, Z. Where did they get that from? Of course, I wouldn't say that. But hear it they did, even though I didn't say it. Sometimes I've even gone back and checked over my notes to be sure, and I didn't say it. That's the power of God, taking the spoken word, lighting it up by his Holy Spirit, and making it do the work that he wants it to do. So we may be worried about saying the wrong thing, but I believe that a word spoken for Jesus' sake to people who need to hear of his love will always be honoured by God. And the best thing that we can tell people about is our own experience of a life of faith. No one can challenge our own story. The Apostle Peter in his first letter says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. In other words... Be prepared to tell your own story, how you came to faith, what your faith means to you, how God helps you when you pray. So, God says in verse 12, now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Moses is now out of arguments. He's got no excuses left and maybe nor have we. And so what does he do? Well, like a little child who's run out of good reasons to disobey their parent, he just gets belligerent, albeit quite politely. Pardon your servant, says Moses in verse 13. Please send somebody else. Now some of you will know what it's like. If you've ever had to deal with young children when they just flatly refuse to do what you tell them. When our son Tristan was very small, sometimes he had a complete paddy if you tried to put him in his car seat. And he would make his body go stiff and rigid because he knew if he did this that you couldn't get the seatbelts done up around him. And what was my reaction? I got angry. I'd had enough. I was fed up. Well, God had had enough with Moses by now. Verse 14, the Lord's anger burned against him. But like a good parent, God gives him a way out. A way out which will still achieve God's ends, but allow Moses his comfort blanket, if you like. Your brother Aaron can speak for you. So God doesn't let him off the hook. He'll still have to go to Egypt. He'll still have to face Pharaoh. But he teams him up with his brother so that they can do this thing together. And actually, that can be really helpful for us today. If we don't feel confident that we can articulate the gospel to a friend or colleague or whoever then we can invite other people to come along and help us. You might invite someone 
for a meal together with some friends who can gossip the gospel in a relaxed and non-threatening way. Or you invite a relation or friend to come and try the Alpha course. You can be with them, but you don't have to do the explaining because it all happens within the context of Alpha. That's one of the reasons Alpha is so good. In fact, that's what one person did last week. They invited a work colleague along to the Alpha course to hear the best news in the world, that there's a God who loves them, who died for them, who offers total forgiveness, and who longs for them to do life with him. That's why it's so crucial that we are prepared to speak up. And so, in summary, we have the greatest sign of all, that there is a God who loves the world, the cross, the empty tomb, but also the Holy Spirit living in us. We have a God who can take our halting, stumbling words and transform them with power to do things we cannot even imagine. And we're not alone. We have the witness of others, Christian brothers and sisters, to help us share the love of Jesus. So let's go back to that question that God puts to Moses. Will you speak for me? All down the ages, God has called his people to speak on his behalf. Some are well known. William Wilberforce was called by God to speak up against the injustice of the slave trade in the early 19th century and dedicated his life until it was abolished. Billy Graham has shared the gospel with hundreds of millions of people around the world. Millions of people today are Christians because of his response to God's call on his life. Others are less well-known. Kirsty was called to share the love of Jesus with her friend Jan on a dog walk in the woods. But that transformed Jan's life. Imagine what would happen if all the hundred adult members of St Matthew's and the 50 or so children and youth at St Matthew's spoke freely about their faith outside these four walls. Imagine a time when Jesus was the normal topic of conversation at Café Alive or in the community centre. Imagine a community being set free from the bondage of sin by the good news of Jesus Christ. Imagine God's kingdom coming in our workplaces, our homes, our friends and our families. Who is God calling you to speak to? What is God calling you to say on his behalf? Is there a justice issue at work that he wants you to stick your neck over the parapet and challenge somebody about? Is there a family member you might have the opportunity to share the love of Jesus with? God asks us, will you speak for me? And I wonder, will we? Amen.